hppodcraft.com. Okay, Chad, we are rolling. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mr. Lovecraft. Happy birthday to you. I am Basil Elton, keeper of the North Point Light that my father and grandfather kept before me. Far from the shore stands the grey lighthouse, above sunken, slimy rocks that are seen when the tide is low, but unseen when the tide is high. Past that beacon for a century have swept the majestic barks of the seven seas. In the days of my grandfather there were many. In the days of my father, not so many. And now there are so few that I sometimes feel strangely alone, as though I were the last man on our planet. Ah. Wow, alone. That was Andrew Lehman reading the first paragraph of The White Ship. The White Ship. And Andrew, again, doing a magnificent job. Yeah, man. It's it's very comforting. Uh, I was I was thinking about this guy being all alone in that lighthouse and how he feels like the last man on the planet. And I thought, if he had Andrew Lehman reading H.P. Lovecraft with him... No, he wouldn't feel lonely at all. He wouldn't feel lonely at all. Ain't that the truth? I was excited when I read this uh, paragraph of The White Ship, because what, who, I really who read like... it? Me, Chad Pfeiffer. Oh, okay, good, good. And you know, I also read it. You Chris, did? Who are you? Chris Lackey. <laughs> and I'm uh, I'm one of the hosts of the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. We're here at hppodcraft.com talking about all kinds of stories. Yeah, well, HP Lovecraft stories. And we're talking about The White Ship today. The White Ship. What I was saying was yes, that yes. I um, I got really excited when I read this paragraph, because I... I like lighthouses. I think they're neat. I love white uh, lighthouses. I thought this was going to be a good one. Uh, I started to get concerned as we went into the next few paragraphs. Uh, the guy obviously introduced himself. His name is Basil Elton. Basil Elton. Uh, Basil Elton is the keeper of the of the lighthouse. Right, and it's been in his family for, for generations. 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 And uh, he talks about how ships have been coming from far shores to tell uh, people in his family stories for generations. Yeah, and they've heard them and passed them down. Yeah, and he's gotten books, books of stories and adventures and things like that. Yeah, yeah, he loves he loves books, he loves adventure stories, but uh, he, he actually concludes that the ocean is a better storyteller. He says, Blue, green, gray, white or black, smooth, ruffled or mountainous, that ocean is not silent. All my days have I watched it and listened to it, and I know it well. At first it told to me only the plain little tales of calm beaches and near ports, but with the years it grew more friendly and spoke of other things, of things more strange and more distant in space and time. Yeah. Yeah, the ocean's telling him things. Yeah. It's kind of cool still. Yeah, it's, I'm, yeah, I'm into it. I'm into it. So then out of the south... This white ship yes. begins to come on the full moon. Yep, yep, that's he, true. He says it moves It moves very silently like a ghost ship, sort of. It, no matter what the seas are like, it glides very smoothly uh-huh. across them. And on, on the deck of the boat is a bearded, robed man. Right. Uh, who one night seems to beckon to Basil as if he's asking him to travel with him to yeah. unknown shores. Yeah. And then he walks on a moon. <laughs> <laughs> you have to hear this to believe it. All right. 
Very brightly did the moon shine on the night I answered the call, and I walked out over the waters to the white ship on a bridge of moonbeams. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's when things get a little... Oh, a gosh. little Olivia Newton-John. Yeah, into. man. I actually had, I did a double take because I was just positive that there was a horrible or an unspeakable or a nevertheless detestable that I missed in there somewhere. Yeah, no, you, you know, didn't. But, but no, no, it wasn't a bridge of no dissonant moonbeams even or no. uh, uh, moonbeams redolent with luxurious evil or anything yeah. like that. No. Nope. And at this point in the story, I could already tell that... Um, you know, even though it isn't literally true, I want to say that you get your ass kicked for reading this story in my neighborhood. You know what I mean? <laughs> so anyway, from basically from there, um, Basil and this bearded guy on the white ship oh, start yeah. traveling around on the boat and seeing shit. And they're going to uh, magical lands. Yeah. Beautiful lands. And their first stop, the land of Zar. <laughs> first place they see is called Zar. And I saw that and uh, I, I wasn't happy. No. It sounded a little too much to me like Dar, the Beastmaster, <laughs> but without the charm of Mark Singer. Yeah, know? no no charm. Well, well, Zar was specifically known for... It says, in Zar dwells all the dreams and thoughts of beauty that come to men once and then are forgotten. Yes, so this is the all the cool things that people forget dwell in the land of Zar. Yeah, I, that's neat. It kind of... Um, the first thing I thought of, actually, was... I'm a fan of the Sandman graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're in in the dreamlands in there there's a library there's a wing of the library in, in the dreaming that contains all of the books that were never written yeah by famous authors or even by anybody who's ever dreamed of a book it's there you know that's right, that's pretty yeah. cool conceptually pretty cool oh yeah so they right they well they they didn't stop at czar they they passed by it because uh the captain told him if you stop there you can't go back to where you're from oh right right yes, right yes, it's yes. uh it's sort of like a lost place it yes. actually reminded me of a of a george carlin bit <laughs> that I I grabbed from online where he says uh, that's the first thing that happens when you get to heaven they give you back everything you ever lost that's the whole meaning of heaven you get back everything here you are 79 pairs of sunglasses 212 cigarette lighters 4,983 ballpoint pens there's a jock strap we found on the Golden State Freeway it appears to have mule hoof prints and chocolate sprinkles on it <laughs> must have been quite an evening <laughs> But uh, so from Czar, you're right. They don't stop. Right. I'm sorry. They don't stop at Czar. Right. Yeah, they yeah. go on to. Uh... Uh, they go on to. They go to Thalarian, the city of a thousand wonders. Right, and it says, uh, "Wherein reside all those mysteries that man has striven in vain to fathom." And I looked again at closer range and saw that the city was greater than any city I had known or dreamed of before. Into the sky, the spires of its temples reached, so that no man might behold their peaks. And far back beyond the horizon stretched the grim gray walls over which one might spy only a few roofs weird and ominous, yet adorned with rich friezes and alluring sculptures. Yeah. So, uh, so the writing's good. Yeah, it yeah. really paints a kind of magical picture of these lands out right. there. It does. It does. Um, do I really care? No. I, I don't know. No, I don't care. I mean, maybe I'll care more as the story continues. Yeah, well, it, so uh, Basil wants to enter to Thalarian, but uh, the bearded man won't let him. Uh, and he says something that I thought was kind of a cool thing. He says, Therein walk only demons and mad things that are no longer men. And the streets are white with the unburied bones of those who have looked upon the Eidolon Lathi that reigns over the city. Yeah, now that's some good stuff. <laughs> it's good stuff, but what's a... Uh, uh, do you know this? What's an Eidolon? 
Eidolon? Eidolon? Yeah, it's the uh, spiritual duplicate of a uh, person or a being or something. Okay, like it's a like a ghostly phantom mirror image. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Well, um, so they don't stop there, uh, but they, they just keep going south. And at that point, they're starting to follow a, a bird. The ship is sailing. Yes. This bird flying like over. It's Azure Bird, I believe it is. Yeah. Uh, they pass this coast that looks awesome. And uh, Basil starts hearing these songs. It's a little like Odysseus and the Sirens. There's another place that go by where people See, are I thought, singing. I thought it was Sade. I went back to <laughs> no. It is like Sade. Oh. If I would have a hard time not going to an island if I yeah, heard Sade. Yeah, if I heard Sade, Sade I'd yeah. be going. There. Well, it means relaxation. It means exactly. Know, yeah, 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 sure. Smooth operating. Uh, and and truly, Basil wants to go to this island of Sade as well. But right. they 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 pass. And when they pass. The wind grew stronger. The air was filled with the lethal, charnel odor of plague-stricken towns and uncovered cemeteries. And as we sailed madly away from that damnable coast, the bearded man spoke at last, saying, This is Zura, the land of pleasures unattained. This place sounds awesome. The land of pleasures unattained? Well, yeah, but but it smells like graveyards. Oh. Well, but, I mean... I can think of a few life pleasures unattained, you know, like there's sure. there's a, a couple girls in high school, you know, I would love to smooched. Right. Never but happened. But that's, that's the point. You, you, you know, hopefully you would sail madly away from pursuing that land because once you get there, it's not going to turn out well. Oh. The pleasures unattained are probably unattained for a good reason. Maybe is, is what that means. Oh, okay. Well. I don't know. This is like the worst Disney Jungle Cruise ever at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so they keep going, and they finally yes. drop anchor in this harbor of, uh, and how did you pronounce this? Sona Nile? Sona Nil? Uh, Sona Nil. Sona Nil. The and, land of Sona Nil. And, and here's what he has to say about Sona Nil in one sentence that I love. This is the land of fancy, and we walked to the verdant shore upon a golden bridge of moonbeams. That one sentence just kills me. <laughs> this is the land of fancy. Yeah, I feel like um, H.R. Puff and stuff's going to come walking out at any moment, <laughs> right. you know? Like, this is uh, Sid Marty Croft. And I was a little Lost conf- show. Absolutely, man. Yeah. This is Welcome to Lidsville. Or whatever that was. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Lidsville. Uh, and, and Basil says, actually, this confused me. In one sentence, he says, there is neither time nor space in Sona Nil. And then he goes on to say in the same sentence that he dwelt there for eons. So I, yeah. So so there is time. One or the other, and, pal. Yeah. One or the other. Whatever. Uh, it's very pretty. He hangs out. He walks a bunch. It's just pretty tranquil. It's sort of like you know, I don't know. Prom- yeah, it's just promises in Malibu. It's cool. Yeah. They do measure their years, as becomes evident in the text, and. Clearly, they don't do it with numbers, but with ridiculous made-up words. It says here <laughs> in this sentence, It was against the full moon one night in the immemorial year of Tharp that I saw outlined the beckoning form of the celestial bird and felt the first stirrings of unrest. Then I spoke with the bearded man and told him of my new yearnings to depart for remote Cathuria, which no man hath seen, but which all believe to lie beyond the basalt pillars of the West. It is the land of hope, and in it shine the perfect ideals of all that we know elsewhere, or at least so men relate. But the bearded man said to me, Beware of those perilous seas wherein men say Cathuria lies. In Sonanil there is no pain or death, but who can tell what lies beyond the basalt pillars of the West? Nonetheless, the next full moon I boarded the white ship, and with the reluctant bearded man, Left the happy harbor for untraveled seas. 
The year of Tharp. <laughs> I'm, I'm stuck on that still. I can't help it. The year of Tharp. Yes. 19, 19... 18, 1919, 1920, yeah. the year of Tharp, 1922. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so our... Oh, I'm sorry. So we're, Well, so Basil, so he, he says, you know, it's nice, it's tranquil here, uh, and there's no pain or death. There's no, there's no horror here. And maybe ahead there is, but, you know, I hear it's really awesome out there. Yeah, and Cathuria. That's where yeah, the, that's where, that's that's where where the, the stuff fun, is. The fun begins. We're back to the bird. The yeah, bird's... so they start following the bird, but yeah. uh, it's not a great trip. The oarsmen aren't singing really anymore. No. Uh, but but Basil, uh, he just keeps imagining that this is an awesome place. Yeah, Cathuria is, is awesome. Um, I think he says specifically, Cathuria, I would say to myself, is the abode of gods and the land of unnumbered cities of gold. Its forests are of aloe and sandalwood, even as the fragrant groves of Cameron, and among the trees flutter gay birds sweet with song. Ah. <sighs> Sweet with song. Oh, beautiful song. So, you know, in his head and in conversations with himself, this place is going to be awesome. Yeah, he's going to love Cthulhu. Even though he really doesn't he's not, know. He shouldn't go there. I mean, he, he knows something because he, he blabs a little bit more after the right, that yeah. excerpt to talk about the city's monarch, Doriab, and how great he is and what his palace is like. Um, and the bearded man keeps telling him to turn back because they don't know about this place. But in his head, he's got this whole fiction of how great it's going to be. Yeah. He's, uh, he just wasn't happy with the nice place he had. No, no, it wasn't enough. It's like an American tale. You know, when Fievel keeps dreaming oh, somewhere right. out there, there's somewhere this, out there? this land that the streets are paved with cheese, you know. Oh, right. Yeah, Isn't I don't, that something I like don't that? remember I don't that know. at all. I think that's I guess really maybe uh, he's a little more like Halle Berry's husband, you know. He's not satisfied with what he's got, even though it's beautiful. <laughs> he just wants to... <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> and on the thirty-first day, he says they approach Cathuria, yeah. And uh, Basil hears all of these songs, but these songs are better than the ones he heard before, even because the theme of all these songs is how awesome he is. Yeah, <laughs> they're all like Basil rules. <laughs> or in my head, I was thinking it was like you got the touch, <laughs> you got the power. Exactly. And the captain once again asks him to turn back, but they don't. And when the music ceased and the mist lifted. We beheld not the land of Cathuria, but a swift, rushing, resistless sea over which our helpless bark was borne towards some unknown goal. Soon to our ears came the distant thunder of falling waters, and to our eyes appeared on the far horizon ahead the titanic spray of a monstrous cataract, wherein the oceans of the world dropped down to abysmal yeah. nothingness. So it's not, they just no. run off the planet. Apparently. Off the edge of the planet. Yeah. And, uh, well, and then as they're going over the edge, the bearded man... With a tear in his eye, says... <laughs> then did the bearded man say to me with tears on his cheek, We have rejected the beautiful land of Solanil, which we may never behold again. The gods are greater than men, and they have conquered. And I closed my eyes before the crash that I knew would come, shutting out the sight of the celestial bird which flapped its mocking blue wings over the brink of the torrent. Out of that crash came darkness. And I heard the shrieking of men and of things which were not men. Yeah. yeah bravo for throwing a little of that in there. Yeah, Momentarily, a little, a little, I was... A little creepy stuff. Yeah. So uh, he hears another crash and, and then opens his eyes and to find himself not descending into this nope. uh, abyss, but 
on the platform of the lighthouse. And the, the light went out for the first time first since his time. grandfather, uh, like his grandfather was running it. It went out once. Right. And he runs up into the lighthouse and he looks at the calendar mm-hmm. on the wall and he finds that, by the way, this is a normal calendar with numbers on it that yeah. makes sense. And he finds that no time has actually passed at right. all. Unless, of course, nobody came by. And changed the calendar. Changed yeah, the calendar. That's what I thought, too. Yeah, that seems, it was really strange to me because I was like going, well, maybe just nobody's been here for yeah. a week. You know? I don't get I don't it. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah, no time has passed, but he goes down to uh, the shore to right. see if any... at dawn when there's yeah, light out. When he there's goes light to see if any uh, boats have crashed. But, uh, no, there was no, 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 uh, no crash, no wreckage, except for a dead bird. A dead... Yeah. Bluebird, Azure, mm. actually, is what he says, and uh, and and just one single shattered spar, uh, which is like a wooden piece of rigging from a sailboat. Yes, just, a, it is, just a teeny little bit, there. and it's white. Dun, dun, and thereafter, the ocean told me its secrets no more. And though many times since has the moon shone full and high in the heavens, a white ship from the south came never again. And that's the end. And that's the end of the story. Hoo-wee is what I say about that story. Yeah, I wasn't that into it. I mean... No. I guess it's... On my first reading, I thought, is this a Garden of Eden story or an Orpheus story? Because he doesn't have faith in what he already has or he doesn't rely on the the bearded captain who is sort of spiritual guide. And he wanted to get knowledge of other places. He was punished. Right. Well, yeah, I don't know if it's... Knowledge is so much, you know, like gratification, mm-hmm. you know, like um, there's a lot of a lot of the reading I've done. Uh, they talk about this is kind of a, a commentary on Epicureanism yeah. and which is it's a philosophy based around the teachings of Epicurus, who was a guy that only believed in the material like things. Right. Nothing uh, that exists is anything more than yeah. matter, like right. as in. It has no spirituality. You know, like yeah. people thought that there was like a spirit that was we couldn't see and we couldn't feel. And, he, yeah. and he's, his idea was all we are is matter, either water or, right. or, or you know. And for that reason, uh, seek all the pleasure that you can in life. Right, because there's nothing more than mm-hmm. what there is in life. Right. And so uh, when somebody is described as Epicurean, they're very pleasure-seeking, maybe, maybe to the detriment of their health even. In his teachings, he was about seeking modest pleasures in order mm-hmm. to at- attain a sense of tranquility, oh, okay. which a lot of people, it's common to think that, because a lot of the reading, when people talk about this, they think it's about hedonism, mm-hmm. but it's not. He was all about enjoy modest pleasures and find those things that are uh, tranquil. Because like if you're boozing all the time, yeah. you're not going to have a you know a good life. Which it kind of gets it's it you know it's a it's philosophical you know right. it's like hey hey if I'm gonna be partying all the time I'm gonna die really quick so because... I should take that Epicurean on board uh, bumper sticker off my car uh, <laughs> well that's and... how I send out the subtle signal that I'm rocking it in there oh uh, yeah no that's uh, <laughs> then yeah you're sending the wrong message right. because any any real philosophy student would come up and say oh you want to just kind of maybe read a good book yeah. and go to the park that must be why all these college chicks climb in and they're only seeking modest pleasures. <laughs> So disappointing. Uh, okay. Well, it did seem to me to an extent, though, to fit into Lovecraft's thesis that maybe ignorance is bliss. 
Yeah. And that, I guess that's where I was coming from. That if we s- explore the unknown, we can will inevitably be disappointed you know, and freaked out. You know what I really enjoy? That in Kenneth Height's book, Tour de Lovecraft, <laughs> I'm holding it up right now, he talks about uh, how... Hold it, up, hold it up to the mic. Yeah. Can everybody see it? Uh, he, he gives a list of possible allegories, uh, oh. you know, like what this is about here. And he says... Um, uh, well, you know, take your pick on which one of these you think it could be. But I, those, I'm sure, I think any good allegory could be taken to mean many things, depending on the person reading. Right, it. right, sure. Um, and I think it's, I think that it sets up a basic dichotomy, which is that that true bliss is probably found when you can get to a place where you're comfortable. There's no, he says that uh, the land that they're in, that mm-hmm. the whatever it's called, Sona Nil or, or whatever, is uh, there's no, neither death nor pain. Now, it doesn't say, and it sounds very tranquil, yeah. but not fabulous in any way, not right. not extraordinary. And then if you risk, you know, going for the thing that's extraordinary. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to get it. You might it. be disappointed. And I that simple concept can be made to mean many, many things. Right. Um, I, I think in one of the critiques I read, they, they talked about uh, Lovecraft's sort of having a Schopenhauer worldview, mm-hmm. which is that, you know, the only... Uh, the greatest pleasure is the cessation of pain. You know, that's the best that we can expect right. out of life. That's also a Hellraiser uh, viewpoint of things. Oh, really? Well, I mean, that's the, you know, the cube. It was all about, you know, if you're yeah. going to experience pleasures in pains, like that's the only way they're really going to get... People would know what they were getting into with the cube, you know, even though they're getting uh. ripped apart. It was like, you know, they knew that that was part of the deal. Right. And that was kind of why it was effed up. But the girl who was messing with the cube didn't know what she was getting into, but everybody else did. What's her name? Kirsty. Kirsty. Yeah, I don't remember. Something like that. I uh, didn't find that there's no movies about the white ship. No. But a very popular. A song called The White Ship. Yes. By well, the... I don't know if it was popular, but they're a psychedelic group, right? Called H.P. Lovecraft, yeah. which I never heard of. I, I remember I worked in a, um, I worked in the music library at the University of Illinois, and we had two or three of their albums. Uh-huh. Or maybe it was, I don't even know if they have that many, so maybe it was just two, but it, I, it blew my mind when I went back to the stacks and found an H.P. Lovecraft album. <laughs> what is this? Yeah. And then I put it on expecting this really crazy music, and I guess it's, you know, it's psychedelia. Yeah. You know, it's... Yeah, yeah. You know, they're Chicago band. No, I didn't oh, yeah, know that. Yeah, they're from Chicago, and then they relocated to San Francisco. And well, there's the a video of them playing the White Ship. Yeah, it's on YouTube. You Live on YouTube. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it, yeah. It's kind of interesting to go check out. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's got that, um, I don't know, Jefferson airplane kind of... Uh, yeah, kind of. It reminded me of... Um, that bit of on Spinal Tap, you know, where the... With the Jazz Odyssey. Yeah, No, 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 before the Jazz Odyssey with the... Um, the flower people, you know. Oh the, right, the, right. Yeah. The flashback when they were back in the sixties doing yeah. their thing and stuff. But in a way, I like I liked it though. I mean, I listened to the whole thing and it's pretty groovy. You know, I like the instrumentation and stuff. I, I would like to listen to more of their music. I'm sure you can probably find one of yeah. their albums online. Somewhere. I'm gonna. You know, uh, also the story. I didn't specifically. It was it was published in uh, 1919 in November uh-huh. in the United Amateur, Volume 19, Number Two. There you go. And, oh, do you remember our, our guy, um, Alfred Galpin, uh, who was the... Oh, he was the guy that was going to try alcohol. He was going to try alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, well, Al- Alfred was the chair of the Department of Public Criticism of the UAPA, which was... Uh, That's the amateur yeah, mm-hmm, writing exactly. organization. And mm-hmm. he loved the white ship. He thought it was awesome. Oh. But uh, I, I don't know if he maybe didn't read Dunsany at all, because there's a story that everybody says... That uh, and I started to read it. It's pretty much the same thing. A, a dude 
on a boat travels right. to mystical lands. Yeah. But now what I heard about that is that it's one sort of wonderful description of these lands after another. Right. But not necessarily allegorical. No, it doesn't have really, this drop off at the end. No, there is no real allegory uh, to it. Uh, the story was Idle Days on the Yan. Ah. And it was written in uh, 1910. So it's, it is it predates the story by about nine years. Well, so we know that um, HPL was a fan of Lord Dunsany. Yes. And that, yeah. uh, um, and, th- and then this story, as well as a couple of the last ones that we read, I guess, fit into that, uh, what they call his dream cycle or his dream work. Yeah. And I think maybe we're just a little bit cranky about it because we like the horror stories better. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I've never, even back in my tabletop role-playing game yeah. days, we, we never did any of the dream dream land stuff we yeah just, it wasn't i mean maybe it could have been scary it just didn't yeah. seem scary to me it's not scary it's more it's more about just imagery and impressionism and uh and and thoughts and allegory i mean the the story that you read last time about the genie from outer space and, oh yeah uh-huh. and the angel from the future or whatever oh, was right. going on they uh, <laughs> uh that also was allegorical in a way or yeah uh, was this i mean these are very sort of classical forms in literature and and uh yeah, He's but I'm just mean, trying out some different yeah. stuff. But, I, it, but I was going to say, as cranky as we are about it, I do think it's kind of important work, and it's probably influenced a lot of people. Oh yeah, I would say so too. I, I you know, I'm just more partial to right. the stuff that blows my mind. Or yeah, this, yeah. This, this isn't blowing my mind at all. This is. Uh, yeah. Well, I know that H.R. Um, Geiger is a big fan of the dream stuff. He's a big fan of Lovecraft, right? But uh, in particular, he he likes the the dream world kind of ideas and that strange scenery out there. I, I think he has his own theories about the collective unconscious and how yeah. we're all that th- there actually are things out in the dreams. And yeah, that we yeah. see them. I think in he his believed. Art. Yeah. yeah, I think he believed that there was like his art was actual his visions of the astral world or yeah. some stuff like that. But I his remember. first major work in the in the 70s where he published his, his prints of his artwork was called uh, Necronomicon. Necronomicon yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that was the book that Ridley Scott saw and influenced his the design, design of, of, the... of Alien. Well, Alien. Well, I mean, yeah, but he hired... He actually hired Geiger yeah, to work on to it. To work yeah. on it, yeah. So uh, if there's any Alien fans out there, Lovecraft's all over that as well. Yeah, there you go. I mean, that is kind of a Lovecraftian story. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, the first one. Well, there's one historical mention of the white ship. I don't know if you caught this one, but back in the 12th century, um, 1120, there was a ship. It was called the white ship, but in uh-huh. French it was Le, Le Blanc Neuf. Mm-hmm. And it uh, crashed in the English Channel. And on board, why, why it's significant, was the only legitimate son of King Henry I of England. Oh, wow. William Adlin. Uh-huh. And so that was kind of a big historical, you know, that was a big deal at the time. So no, maybe, I didn't come across that. Maybe Lovecraft um, read about it at some point, and mm-hmm. you know, this white ship, you know, could be sure. You know, when those people died on the ship, because it was a, a bunch of other royalty and, and things, but that was the, the big person that died. Now, do they? Um, I when I read the story, I imagine that this is like some kind of ghost ship that. He sort of rode a moonbeam over onto, like it was a, you know, like one of those walkways that goes between casinos in Las Vegas or something. Right, yeah, like that's that. how I saw it. Too. Yeah, but but as we were just talking about it here, I, I well maybe he took the moonbeam up into the sky and then the white ship floated around up, up there and all these things no, are up there. So, I didn't no? get that impression because it feels like doesn't he say that it's on the water? Yeah, like, I guess yeah so. he doesn't say it's in the sky ever. Yeah. But he does get on a It's m- hard to tell where you're going to show up when you get on a moonbeam. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you know? You're really rolling the dice yeah. when you step on that moonbeam. 
Oh god! I really couldn't believe that, you know, because there's parts in the story where he'll he'll say a place is beautiful, but he always throws something in there, you know, that yeah. says it was beautiful yet slightly repugnant. Yeah, you know, there's yeah, something yeah. always a little horrible under the surface, but and, not this one. This but one is the moonbeams is just shiny happiness. Yeah, and the gay birds filled a song. Next week, the doom that came to Sarnoth. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, that's yeah. our story next week. That is oh, our I story next that. week. Yeah, it's very yeah, yeah. Exciting. So but I think that's cool. part of the dream cycle stuff too. But it it's is. got lots of good horror. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's got some. It's got better stuff in there. So yeah. I, I will say this about the white ship before we close up. It's uh, it wasn't to my taste, but I do think there's some nice writing in here, and there's some yes. very solid kind of word pictures and uh, yeah, imagery. I agree. But I didn't like it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Well, hopefully um, next week, I, I believe Lovecraft is going to step it up a notch. Yes. Or five. Can't wait. Let me uh, let me say thanks again to Andrew Lehman. Thank you, Andrew, for, for a wonderful job yet again. Once again. And um, I'm Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And this is the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. HPPodcraft.com. HPPodcraft.com. <laughs>